If you have your Bibles this morning, I would like to invite you to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. This morning we are looking at a passage of Scripture that is often looked at in isolation from the surrounding context. Sometimes Romans 13 is preached maybe on a a national holiday, such as July 4th or maybe Veterans Day, Memorial Day, something of that nature. But I think it's important for us to see Romans 13, 1 through 7 in the larger context of what Paul has been saying, because I think it's, it's integrated into his whole argument that he's presenting to us. And that argument really runs through the whole letter of Romans. Romans 1 through 11 is the foundation. You might think of it this way, that Romans 1 through 11 is the stage and the backdrop on which we act out and live Romans 12 through 16. So Romans 1 through 11 is the foundation. Without that, you can't have any actions. You can't have any Christian life, any, any Christian ethics that you live out in the world. So the gospel is the foundation of everything that we do. Throughout Romans 1 through 11, Paul taught in very clear ways that we are saved not by anything that we have done, but wholly on the merits of the work of Christ, appropriated by faith. So salvation is by grace through faith. It is not based on our works. And so we've seen in Romans 1 through 11 that we have much to be thankful for and to praise God for because his mercies are great. His mercies are great. And Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, in view of those mercies, in view of those mercies of God, here is how we are to live. Here's how we are to act as Christians in the world. And the overriding principle of how we are to act and live out the gospel in the world is to give our lives to God because he bought us. He bought us. He redeemed us through the blood of his own Jesus Christ. And so we are not our own. We belong to him because we've been bought with a price. And so Paul says, instead of bringing continual, perpetual offerings of animals on a, on, a, on a stone altar to sacrifice to God, we bring our lives. We bring our moments and our days every single day, and we give them to God as an act of worship, as a daily, perpetual, lifelong act of worship to God. And the only way that we can do that is to have a transformed from the inside out way of thinking and living. Transformed in our thinking, transformed by the Holy Spirit, transformed by continual exposure to the Word of God. But that transformed way of thinking will then work itself out in our experience, in the way that we relate to one another in the church, the way that we relate to other people in society. And so I think it's in that context that Romans 13 comes into play. Because we just saw at the end of Romans chapter 12 specific ways that we can live out the gospel in relationship to one another. So we can live it out in in the church by showing love and humility toward one another. We can dwell together in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. But also in the way that we relate to the world at large, Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that we need to bless those who persecute us. That when we are treated wrongly, we don't need to seek revenge. When we, are, when we receive evil, we need to not give evil back in kind, but we need to overcome evil with good. And so 
Paul said we need to live in such a way in the midst of a pagan, unbelieving, hostile society. And one of the ways that we can do that is by living as good citizens within that society. So living as good citizens, putting ourselves subject to, in submission to the authorities that God has placed in in the world, governing authorities. And he's put these things into place in the world for a reason. And we are to subject ourselves to them. And in so doing, we're living out the gospel and we're also showing other people what the gospel does in people's lives. We're, we're, we're adorning the gospel, if you will, as we live this out in society. And so Paul calls for us in Romans 13, 1 through 7, to be subject to the governing authorities that God has ordained. Paul says in Romans 13, verse 1, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word teaches us how to live as your people, as redeemed children of God who have been given such a wonderful gift of your grace. Lord, now help us to live out this gospel in the world. Lord, you've showed us in your word how we are to do that. And your word touches on many different aspects of our lives. And in this portion of scripture that we're looking at this morning, we see that we are to live out the gospel as citizens in society. We are to demonstrate our Christian faith in the way that we relate to governing authorities. So, Father, help us to understand your word. Help us to put this into practice. And, Lord, may you continually, daily transform us that we might be a daily sacrifice of worship to you. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Really, the main idea, the overriding theme of this passage is set out for us right away in verse number one. Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. If I were to say, what's the the thesis, what's the main idea, the main theme of this passage? That's it right there. Paul gives it to us at the opening of verse one. I would probably phrase it this way in view of everything that we've looked at in Romans. I would say as redeemed children of God being transformed by the Holy Spirit, we have an obligation to submit ourselves to earthly governing authorities. So in view of the fact that we have been redeemed by God, we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit. 
we have an obligation to submit ourselves to earthly governing authorities. And by governing authorities, what Paul has in view here are politicians, leaders, whether it be in the Roman context in which Paul is writing the emperor, you have the supreme emperor of Rome, but you also have more local authorities, governors, different people who rule over regions. Uh, we can take that and apply it to our situation today, and we can say that, that we have a president of the United States. We have a Congress of elected representatives and senators. We have judges. We have police officers who serve to enforce the law. And so we have governing authorities. We have laws by which we are to abide by and live. And so Paul, when he says governing authorities, he means all of those things, whether it be the higher authorities or even the more local governing authorities that we have in our society. And he says that we are to submit ourselves, put ourselves under the authority of these earthly entities. And the first thing that I want to talk about this morning is why. So that's, that's the main point. Submit ourselves to these governing authorities because we're Christians redeemed by the grace of God. But number one, why? What are the reasons that Paul gives in this passage for why we should submit ourselves to these governing authorities? First of all, he says, because all earthly governing authorities are ordained by God. All earthly governing authorities are ordained by God. And I think he means this potentially in two ways. One is generally. Generally, we might could say that in a very broad way, human government is an institution that has been established by the wisdom of God. God has, has allowed for and ordained human institutions of government for the purpose of limiting, holding back, restraining depravity in the world. And we can see from the very beginning of civilization, even as it's recorded in the book of Genesis, that from very early on, you have organized societies. You have organized cities with leaders. You have in Genesis 9, 6, God giving specific approval for human beings as authorities to take the life of murderers as capital punishment. And many people look to Genesis 9, 6 as perhaps the first clear indication of the fact that human government is ordained by God and that he gives them, bestows upon them this authority to punish even to the point of death those who do wrong. And so in a very general way, we could say that God has established human government as one of the institutions to guide people in the world, especially people who have been corrupted by sin and are depraved. And left to ourselves, we would go off into chaos and greater and greater depths of depravity. So human government, these laws and rulers, are a restraint on human evil. That's ordained by God. But then I think Paul also means in a very specific way that even individual rulers are ordained by God. So in a sovereign, providential way, even the very people who are on the throne or the, the very people who have been elected to office, they are there only because of the sovereign providence of God, which has ordained it. So we could say that 
right now, President Trump is in the White House because of the will of God. Because he's there. Now, it's important for us, I think, to make sure that we distinguish between two aspects of the will of God. Two aspects of the will of God. And one is the moral will of God, and the other is the sovereign will of God. Now, when I say that that President Trump is in the White House by the will of God, I'm not saying that every decision that President Trump makes is a right one. Nor am I saying that, that President Trump is necessarily there by the moral will of God. That, that this is the best possible, morally speaking, elected official to be in that office. What I'm saying is that he is there according to the sovereign will of God. So in God's sovereign will, he has ordained, decreed that this should be the person in the White House at this particular point in history. And I can just as equally say that it is within the sovereign will of God that the Democrats won back the House in this election in 2018. So when I say any of these things, I'm not saying anything political at all. I'm not taking a stand for one candidate or one party or the other. I'm just declaring a theological, biblical truth that any person who is in office, any person who is in authority is there because God has permitted it, ordained it, established it. Because he rules over the universe. And that's what Paul is saying here. And in a sense, Jesus affirms this before Pilate. When Jesus is standing there before Pilate, and Pilate says to Jesus, when Jesus refuses to answer and and to speak and defend himself, Pilate says to Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to release you or the power to have you put to death? And what does Jesus say? He says, you would have no power at all if it were not given to you from my Father in heaven. That's what Paul means here. Now, that doesn't mean that Pontius Pilate was a moral person. That doesn't mean that Pontius Pilate was the most ethical person to be in office. He clearly wasn't. He was somebody who was in for himself, and he was making decisions based on what people would think and making sure that that society and the citizens wouldn't try to to cause a bunch of unrest and throw him out. So he he was politically calculating the whole time in what he was doing. But Jesus says, you're here because God has ordained it. You would have no power at all if not for my Father in heaven. And Paul is, is saying here that, that, that in general, human authorities are ordained by God, but also in very specific instances, very specific people, they're there because God has ordained it. So that's one reason why we are to submit ourselves to governing authorities, because behind these governing authorities is the sovereign will of God. And so therefore, when Paul says, when you disobey human authorities, therefore you're disobeying God. Because God has established human government in general, and in his sovereignty, he has put these people in those positions. So earthly governing authorities have been ordained by God. And that's one reason why we should subject ourselves to them. But a second reason that he gives in this passage as to why we should subject ourselves to these human governing authorities is because human governing authorities are for the purpose of promoting the good 
and punishing the wrong. Human governing authorities are for the purpose of promoting the good and punishing the wrong. So he says in verses 3 and 4, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. He says, this person in authority, this, this leader, he is an agent of God. He's a servant of God for good, for justice, for morality, for that which is fair, for righteousness. The one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So God has granted to government this purpose that they are to promote good and justice in society, to hold back evil, and God has given them the authority to punish those who do wrong. So that is another reason to obey governing authorities, is that to obey governing authorities is to pursue good, because that's why God has put them there. Governing authorities are an agent of good, not evil, and we have an obligation in Christ to pursue good. So we should obey governing authorities. And by the way, when Paul says, they do not bear the sword in vain, that is a pretty clear New Testament affirmation of the role and the right of governing authorities to execute criminals. Capital punishment. That's a very controversial issue in today's society. Even to the point where you have the current Pope going against long-standing Christian tradition and saying that we should no longer do capital punishment. And yet, there is very clear evidence and foundation for capital punishment in both the Old Testament as well as the New In the Old Testament, you have Genesis 9, 6, where it says, Those who shed man's blood by man shall their blood be shed. Why? Because people were made in the image of God. In other words, the whole rationale for capital punishment is to be a deterrent to murder because human life is precious. And those who commit murder are taking the life of an image bearer of God. So it's the most serious crime that can be committed. That's why capital punishment exists. But then some would say, yeah, well, that was Old Testament. That's Old Testament Israel. You have all these penalties, capital punishment for different crimes in the Old Testament law. But that was Old Testament. But yet here we have Paul in Romans 13 affirming pretty clearly that one of the God-given roles of government is to bear the sword, which most likely refers to capital punishment. It is the ultimate form of punishment for the most serious of criminals. And the government has been given that authority by God to take human life when they are guilty of serious crimes, of taking other innocent life. And so there's New Testament foundation for capital punishment. And I I acknowledge that there are difficulties with that. We want to make sure that we do it right. We want to make sure that we do it fairly. We want to do it justly. We want to make sure that we have the right person who is guilty of the crime. But capital punishment is a biblical principle. 
And I believe it serves as a very clear deterrent to violent crime. And Paul seems to affirm it here clearly in Romans 13. So why should we be subject to governing authorities? Because they're God's agents ordained by God and because they're agents of good, seeking to promote good and punish evil. Well, then the question comes about then, when? Or under what circumstances? When should we obey government? Are there any limitations to obeying government? Are there any qualifications? And the one thing that I want to say, first of all, is that the default answer is we should always obey government in all things. That's the default answer because that's how Paul presents it here. And isn't it interesting that he presents no qualifications in Romans 13? He doesn't say unless this or unless that, unless they do this or unless they do that or unless you don't like this. He just says, obey governing authorities. Be subject to them because they're agents of God and they're there for the promotion of good, not evil. Why does Paul take this very strong stance, unqualified stance on obeying governing authorities? There's probably a couple of reasons, but one, and I'd like to read from a commentary here by Doug Moo. I think he gets a, a pretty good understanding of the context in which why, why Paul would say it in such strong terms as he does here in Romans 13. He says, from the beginning of the church, the radical demands of the gospel to avoid conformity to this world were taken too far by some overly enthusiastic believers. They thought that the coming of the new age meant that everything in the world was under judgment and to be avoided by truly spiritual Christians. They included in the world such institutions as marriage. And so we have Paul referring in 1 Timothy 4, 3, for example, those who forbid marriage. People saying that, that sex, sexual relations is of the world and should be avoided. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that it is good within the confines of marriage that God has established. And some even saying that government is of the world and therefore is not something that should be paid attention to. And so we have Paul saying in 1 Timothy 2.2, here in Titus, or in Titus 3, we have Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we read earlier in the service, and we have here Romans 13 saying, no, that, that government is for a good purpose and has been ordained by God. And he says the apostles had to combat this kind of extremism, pointing out that such activities were in fact appointed by God for the good of human beings. So in other words, yes, there's a new age coming, but that doesn't mean there, there isn't good reason to get married now. That doesn't mean that it's wrong to have sexual relations within marriage. That doesn't mean that, it, that governing authorities are wrong or that it's wrong to enjoy food. All, all of these things, Paul says, has, have been given as gifts ordained by God. And even though we are in Christ, we can still take part in and, and take advantage of these earthly things without being conformed to the world. And so these things have been given for the good of human beings. Christians should not think that their faith requires them to consider all these institutions as evil. So there may have been the tendency of some to refrain from all things earthly. And they may have viewed 
government as an earthly thing that they were not under any obligation to obey. And Paul wants to make very clear, no, we as Christians are to live Christianly in society, and a part of that is living under the authorities that God has established. It's also possible that Paul is combating here a very Jewish tendency to revolt against Roman oppression. So you had constantly throughout the first century world, zealots who would rise up, especially in Israel and Jerusalem, zealots who would rise up and would say, let's throw off the yoke of Roman occupation, of Roman oppression. And Paul is saying that that's not the mission of the Christian church, is to be zealots seeking to overthrow Roman occupation. So there are many reasons why Paul may have taken a very strong, unqualified stance here and presented it in such strong ways to submit ourselves to governing authorities because he may have been combating tendencies to not obey authorities and to ignore these human institutions that God had ordained. So the default is, generally speaking, we should obey government. That's the default position. Now, having said that, Paul is certainly aware, isn't he, of the teachings of the Bible and the examples from the Bible that provide a just and a righteous basis for disobeying specific immoral laws and rulings of government. So when Paul writes Romans 13, he is not ignorant of the the Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1. The Hebrew midwives that were ordered by Pharaoh to put to death baby boys when they were born by Israelite women, they disobeyed that order. And God blessed them for that. Paul knows his Bible. He's aware of Exodus 1. He's also aware of the three young men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who refused to comply with King Nebuchadnezzar's order to bow down before this statue that he had made and worship it. Paul knows that story. He knows that those three men refused to obey that order and they were blessed by God and they were protected from the fire. He knows the story of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 where Daniel was forbidden to pray to anybody except the emperor for 30 days, but Daniel went on as he normally did and prayed to his God. And God blessed him for that disobedience to that law and he protected him from the lions. Paul is also very aware of the apostles such as Peter and John who in Acts chapter 4 when they were brought before the rulers in Jerusalem and they were beaten and they were told to not any longer preach in the name of Jesus Peter and John say we have to go on obeying God rather than men and we can't help but proclaim the things that we have seen and heard and God bless them for it so Paul's aware of what the Bible teaches and the examples the Bible has given in different places. We could also even go beyond Paul in the book of Revelation, and we could see where the commendation of God is given to those who refuse to bow down and worship the beast and receive his mark. So there's clear biblical teaching and biblical precedent for, in specific instances, not obeying ruling authorities. And Paul's aware of all those when he writes this passage. So then, how do we reconcile that? How do we reconcile Paul's absolute statements in Romans 13, obey the governing authorities, but also with these other places in Scripture that that seem to provide exceptions to that? I would say one way of resolving that may be this, 
that Romans 13 says that we are to be subject to ruling authorities. That is a slight distinction from the word obey. So generally speaking, we are to see ourselves as under the authority of, under the, the umbrella of authority, if you will, of governing authorities, subject to that authority. But that does not mean that every single individual command, every single individual law is a moral and a right one for a Christian to obey. There are some instances where a Christian will have to say, I have to obey the ultimate authority, God, rather than the intermediary authority, human government that he has ordained. Because this is a clear instance where the two are in conflict. And even though Paul says in Romans 13 that human governing authorities are agents of good, not evil, we all know from history and experience that there are governments that have been for the promotion of evil, not good. And we, we could look to communist Russia, Stalinist Russia. We could look to Nazi Germany, and we could see that there are governments who are for the promotion of evil, not good. So there are clearly exceptions in history. Generally speaking, the ideal is that governments are for the promotion of good, not evil. And insofar as we can possibly do it in a clear conscience, we should obey government in every instance. Except there is a clear instance where we have to obey God rather than men. And so I would say our default needs to be submission and obedience to governing authorities. And the times when we disobey governing authorities should be rare. And they should be specific instances where they are in direct conflict with the word of God. And our conscience is bound to the word of God. So disobeying the speed limit is not one of those, right? And by the way, I, I got like, I got what, eight fingers pointing back at me when I got two at you. Uh, I was born with a heavy foot. I got it genetically from, from my, my family. I've had my share of speeding tickets in, in my lifetime, though I haven't had any a few years now, so I'm, I'm getting better. So there is not a good biblical reason to disobey that law, is there? We should be obedient. We should. Why? We want to provide a good example. Not only do we want to, to watch out for other people and the safety of other people and the safety of those in our own vehicle, but we also want to be a good example and people in society see this is a person whose life is different. Now, that's just a very simple example, isn't it? Speeding. But I'm communicating, trying to communicate a broader principle, and that is that, that the society around us should see by our our obedience to and subjection to governing authorities and the way that we live such good lives, as Peter says, among the pagans, they will see your good works and they will not be able to, on the day of judgment, say anything against you. So let's seek to be a good witness in society and by doing that, subjecting ourselves to human authorities. Now, verses 6 and 7, Paul concludes by giving very specific ways in which we can subject ourselves to governing authorities. And the most specific example that he gives is paying taxes. And we all want to groan and moan, right, when we hear Paul say that. 
there is there is no legitimate biblical reason to abstain from paying taxes to governing authorities. You might could say, well, yeah, but they're going to use those tax those tax monies for evil purposes. Wasn't that true in Paul's day too? I mean, when Paul says pay your taxes to the government, isn't he speaking in the context of a Roman government that would have taken that tax money and built an altar to Zeus or some other Roman or Greek god or goddess? Paul Paul understands that that principle that the government may take those revenues and may use it for immoral purposes, but that does not provide a just basis on which to refuse to pay taxes. As Jesus said when he was confronted by the Pharisees and put into a corner, he says, give to Caesar what Caesar's and give to God what's God's. So on this quarter, you got a face of George Washington. Well, give this quarter to the, to the government of America. But you know whose image is on us? God's. So the government can have our money, but we belong to God. So give to Caesar what Caesar's, but give to God what's, what's God's. So offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable. And this is your pleasing act of worship, being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and pleasing, acceptable will of God. Let's be good Christians in society. Let's bow in prayer together. Father of grace, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for providing institutions in our society that are for our good. When we stop and think about and really reflect on how much good, how much how many benefits flow to us from human institutions of government, where we can see your, your hand of grace in that. We're grateful, Lord, for those who protect our lives. We're grateful, Lord, for those who protect our country and defend us. We're grateful for those who enforce the law and seek to, to have a just and a peaceful gentle society. We're thankful, Lord, for the many benefits that we have that flow to us uh, through these institutions of government. Lord, your hand of grace is in those. Lord, help us to see your hand of providence in the people that are in those positions, that they're there for a reason, they're there for a purpose. And insofar as they are agents of good, they are your servants. And we have an obligation to subject ourselves to them. Lord, we thank you that you're doing a transforming work in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, there are times when it's difficult to live as a Christian in society. As we see in our American culture, it seems like Christianity is becoming more and more maligned and hated in our world. And so, Lord, there are going to be many, many more instances in which we're going to have to repay evil with good. And bless those who persecute us. So Lord, give us the grace to do that. And Lord, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom so that we might know those specific instances where we must choose to obey you rather than men. Lord, help us to live out your word in society. May we be a light, a shining light for your glory and grace. 
And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.